Hey, hey, it's GMAC on behalf of Loren McNabb and a vacationing Brett McGarry. This is The Start On Demand. This morning we were discussing solutions to different problems, including addiction. Rick Dirksen, his interview alone is reason enough for you to stick around or fast forward to his interview. He is a recovering alcoholic. He's chosen to be a non-drinker. He has removed alcohol from his life. His story is incredible. Bob Irving joins us to talk about sports, not just the Blue Bombers. Lots of Blue Bomber conversation on the program this morning. We also had a discussion with Andrew Lodge, medical director at Clinic, about addictions, increased demand, but once again, not enough facilities. People putting their hand up saying, I need help and not being able to access it. That and much else. It is the start on demand. Don't go anywhere. Let's get things going. I feel like the word happy and Wednesday should never be in the same sentence, Loren McNabb, but I'm going to try it anyway. Happy Wednesday to you. Yeah, I think it's happy. I mean, it, of course, it depends on what you do for a living, where you are in life. And, and, and if your weekend is this traditional Saturday, Sunday, or if your weekend m- might be today, maybe Wednesday, Thursday is your weekend. And you're definitely happy. But for many of us who yearn for the Saturday, Wednesday is the halfway mark. So yeah, I say happy Wednesday. All right. Well, it's great to connect with you again. Uh, we were worried uh, about, what, about 4.30 this morning? We might have some technical issues, but it sounds as though everything is uh, smooth sailing and working as it should on your end. I'm just going to throw end. this out there. I, I, I cannot get over right now what? in this day and age, and I will rant about this till the cows come home. <laughs> just internet connectivity and the challenges and, and how much you rely on it, particularly for work and when it doesn't work the panic that it instills but I've also found no matter where I go into this province this summer whatever my experience has been with internet and cell service a year ago it's worse now that's just my experience but from basically portage to segamine and beyond I have so many spots where I struggle and so it's just I just I'm just throwing that out there if anyone else has found this summer or something weird or wonky is going on when they try to connect, let me know. Unless right. I'm just living in this bubble. Well, let's throw one more issue on the plate this morning that we're going to deal with here on the start. One more thing for people to complain about. Uh, but I think today, Loren, is it safe to say we're going to focus more so on solutions today? We're going to try. We had a listener reach out to us a few weeks ago to share with us that one year ago this month, they decided to stop drinking. And they had found over the course of the past couple of years that they were regularly turning to the bottle. And in this person's word, the drink wasn't a drink every day. It was a two-six. It was a lot. They were consuming a lot. And so he wanted to reach out just to say, you know, thanks for being a great show to listen to, but here's my story. And I said, well, would you like to come on? So at 9.35, he's just going to share more about his decision to walk away from alcohol and more about his ongoing journey with his addiction and that it had us wanting to reach out and say, well, what else is going on in there in our community? So we're going to talk about addictions. We're going to talk about homelessness. We're going to talk about mental health. And at 737, we're going to share more on a program that's trying to go into your home and help you detox if you're someone who's put up your hand and said, I need help. And and we're also going to have that discussion, Greg, about why we treat certain abuse, substance abuse problems differently. Why do I assume the person who say turns to math is so much 
worse or making a much worse decision than the person who drinks? And why do I drive down the street and view some people who might be struggling differently than the person who might live in the suburban home? What's going on in our heads that allows us to treat people differently? So we're going to have some great conversations this morning and see where we're at because this was a public health emergency before the pandemic. It's definitely one now. Yeah, and a housing emergency. I think it's safe to say right across North America, if you think homelessness is an issue only in Winnipeg, boy, oh boy, uh, Winnipeg might get off easy compared Mm -hmm. to some of the larger cities in North America. I'm thinking of Los Angeles. I'm thinking of Vancouver, Seattle in particular, where tent cities uh, line major Thoroughfares in downtown in Vancouver, I watched a story uh, just this morning from a couple of days, the number of tents side by side by side on East Hastings in front of businesses, in front of buildings would shock you. There was a fire in one of these tents uh, earlier this week or over the weekend and the concerns about the safety there. So we are going to re-examine a story that we spoke about extensively yesterday with regards to that refuse collection and a garbage bin for a homeless encampment in the city of Winnipeg, where the city stands on that. But also, so if if this isn't going to happen, what are we going to do? So we'll discuss that a little bit later this morning. Perhaps we can give the city of Winnipeg credit for one thing in the situation surrounding the request for a garbage bin adjacent to an inner city encampment. They didn't announce a feasibility study yesterday, Loren. No. So what they did say in the end through a statement is that a permanent bin isn't a feasible situation because, you know, that bin could exacerbate the problem. Some people pointed out to the fact that, you know, fires have started in these encampments and others. There's all sorts of reasons that there might be that concern. So an advocate for Winnipeg's homeless community says he understands the frustration of those who block traffic Monday to, to protest the lack of this garbage can and shared more on possible solutions. Global's Marnie Blunt has more. This is what life at home looks like for Robert Russell. And like many, he would like to keep his home clean. No one wants to live in an eyesore, right, of debris. Nobody wants to live like that. A reason why he's vocalizing concerns over garbage at his homeless encampment. The city did not fulfill his request to get a permanent garbage bin, citing concerns over illegal dumping and unwanted users. However, he says city workers did come clean up about 50% of the trash Tuesday morning. But Russell calls it a Band-Aid solution. I think there's room there for, for a solution that we can both be happy with, and I think that's like you know regular pickup. And Homelessness Winnipeg saying it's another issue of Winnipeg's housing crisis. The bigger issue is lack of low-income, supportive housing, dignified housing, uh, better quality housing. Advocates say the city needs to meet them halfway. They want to have dignity. They want to keep the area clean. Let's help them do it. This is the first time they're actually asking for that. Main Street Project, which helps Winnipeg's homeless, says there are ways to provide both garbage bins and avoid illegal dumping at the same time. The city may not think it's a great idea, but the, there's no other solution besides leaving garbage out on the street, right, or, or on the riverbanks, and then that to me is not a viable solution. Viable long-term solutions that Russell would like to see sooner rather than later. The problem is not that we're messy. The problem is that we don't have a place to put the debris. And that's, it's simple. If we can have a place to put the debris and get rid of it, there's no problem. Marnie Blunt, Global News.
the problem isn't that they're messy. It's that they have no place to put the debris. And then as a follow-up to that, there might not be places for them to go to find that dignified housing. I listened to a story out of BC this morning where they moved in on East Hastings Street in Vancouver to clear out tent cities. There was some violence that erupted, but it quickly calmed down. But the takeaway from that story wasn't just that they had to try to remove them. In the end, the people who were homeless and choosing to live in those tent cities said, where do you want us to go? Like, we'll be back. We have no place else to go. So it's not just the city that has to deal with the garbage problem. The city, the province, and the feds have to deal with this homeless situation, Greg, yeah, right this, across the country. Yeah, it's a genuine crisis, not just here in Winnipeg, not just in Vancouver, but across North America. Housing is a, a genuine issue here, and tent cities are a reality all across this continent. And we talk about meeting people where they are. We talk about solutions to issues. We all want solutions as we work our way through housing options, addictions, and mental health programs. What do we do in the meantime? I think this is the question that's being asked. This is the the question that needs to be answered. And lots of texts yesterday suggesting only taxpayers should get a garbage bin. Only taxpayers should get garbage pickup. That is a service for only for those who pay for it. And I ask those with that view, what do we do in the interim? The reality of life for hundreds of people, human beings in our city, is in the spotlight right now. And the question for me, Loren, what level of respect and dignity did those people, these people deserve in your view? Listen to Robert Russell. He's not a nameless, faceless person. He's a human. He's been speaking to us. He's been speaking on behalf of his community. Here he is is again from Marnie's report. No one wants to live in an eyesore, right, of debris. Nobody wants to live like that. Like, doesn't he sound like a reasonable person? Here's a little bit more. I think there's room there for, for a solution that we can both be happy with. And I think that's like, you know, regular pickup. Whether Robert Russell pays taxes or not, does he not sound like somebody we ought to be listening to? Someone that we should not turn our backs upon? I think there's so many layers to this. I think people struggle to put the human face and the name to someone like Robert Russell. Well, now we've seen him talk. We've heard his name. We've heard his reasonable suggestions. What are we going to do with that? In about an hour, we're going to speak to a doctor who works at clinic and helps with outreach programs for all sorts of reasons, mental health addictions or whatever. And he has some, a message he wants you to hear. You know, the same way we're trying to dig deep right now, bottom line might be tough. Resources might be stretched. And you're saying, how can I find those extra dollars maybe to help my family or to help others? He's asking that maybe you dig a little deeper into your soul to find that compassion because you shouldn't be driving by and thinking, ugh. You should be driving by and thinking, how can I help? I think the news, uh, maybe not a shock to a lot of folks, but probably a disappointing uh, piece of news to many who never have, at least to this point, had an opportunity to see Serena Williams play tennis, one of the most transcendent and dominant competitors in the history of the game, is stepping away from the sport sometime following the U.S. Open, which takes place in, in September in New York City. Her announcement came from a personal essay published by Vogue, That came yesterday, Loren. Yeah, and so she said she didn't like the word retirement in this personal essay published by Vogue. So doesn't want to call it a retirement. She's settling on the word evolution. Perhaps that means 
that leaves room for a comeback. I'm not sure, but it's it's like the conscious uncoupling of Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin from Coldplay instead of calling it divorce. She's calling it something else. So as a tribute to one of the greatest athletes in modern times, we want to ask you this morning for a chance to win tickets to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers game tomorrow night. The person or performer or athlete that you either were lucky enough to see or missed out seeing and would like to do that before they evolve out of the sport. There we go. So let's bring back Cam Poitras, who was away yesterday. Feeling a little bit better, my friend? Yep, feeling much better. Right on. Good to have you back in the fold. So uh, I can't wait for your answer on this. Oh, Tom Brady. Absolutely. I'd love to go watch Tom Brady um, in Tampa. Maybe this year might be my last chance. I actually was just thinking about it when I got your email and I'm, I text a buddy of mine. I'm like, let's go, let's go down to Tampa. I mean, it's just like a crazy thought that I just had in my head right now, but I'd love to see Tom Brady play um, uh, before he retires and, and Tiger Woods. I'd love to see him play too as well. Uh, one time uh, Jim, Jim told saw him one time and he looked at Jim and he said, nice hair, Jim. Uh, you can ask him about that. He'll, he'd love to tell you about that story, but um yeah, those are the two guys I'd love to see. Wow, Tiger Woods commenting on Jim Toast's hair. Whoever yeah. imagined that was a reality? He, he looked at him dead in the eyes and said, Jimbo, nice hair. Mm, okay. Swear to God, hand to God. <laughs> well, I'm more curious as to how he knew Jim's name and, and sort of You're asking nickname. too many questions, Greg. You're yeah, okay. Sorry, I can let the story live, breathe, uh, yeah, not to analyze <laughs> it too much. Fair enough. Uh, what about you, Jeff Braun? I think I know the answer, although... I'm reconsidering. Really? Because, well, because now that I realize one of my answers, you've already seen in concert, and I'm thinking about Bruce Springsteen, but you've already seen him. I have seen Springsteen. I would love to see him again, but uh, apparently his tickets cost $5,000 in some places, so I don't think that's going to happen for a while. The artist I would like to see, and I did have tickets, and then the show was canceled a few years ago, is uh, Simon and Garfunkel, specifically Paul Simon. They had to cancel the show in Winnipeg uh, because Garfunkel was sick, and I was just like, well, why can't Paul Simon just do a solo show? That's 90% of the, it's everything except, uh, you know, Bridge Over Troubled Water, right? So I, I would like to see... Uh, Paul Simon in concert before he evolves into worm food. What a, did you say worm food? <laughs> yeah. I got dark in a hurry. Gee whiz. Loren, <laughs> you, you stepped in here. Um, how about you? Well, this one's impossible. I would love to have seen Queen live oh, in concert. Oh, good call. And I just, you know, that... You took mine. Oh, does this... You took oh, mine. Oh, no, Forte. Well, Forte, you explain why you'd like to see queen because i have a follow-up go ahead well actually i i i also have a follow-up <laughs> but no no okay. queen well he's one of the best front man ever and especially i grabbed this clip because this is live aid when you see him controlling the crowd and everyone clapping together right here it's amazing i think the atmosphere there would be crazy yeah i think queen would be so much fun to see it's some of the music i put on when i'm trying to pump myself up or even go on a walk and get my day going or however it might be. So that's on the music front. And then just selfishly on the athlete front, I'm a huge Wayne Gretzky fan. I have seen him in person. My husband's a huge Mario Lemieux fan. And so we like to get into a debate in our house over who was better. So I'd either like to go back in time and pit them at their prime against one another if I could recreate that game or just go back and watch them in the, I think it was the 87 Canada Cup when they were on the same line and, and just watch that magic happen. Well, 1987, of course, Dale Howarchuk winning the faceoff that led to the eventual game-winning goal in the Canada Cup. So uh, you're covering a, a bunch of different people's uh, hockey heroes there, McNabb, including myself. And I guess my story would be the 
the greatest of all time in the National Basketball Association, Michael Jordan. I actually had a, a, a ticket to a game in Minnesota back in the early 1990s. I paid $125 deposit for a bus trip that I eventually could not take. So I spent uh, triple digits on a game that I was unable to see and never, ever managed to see Michael Jordan. And that's a huge regret on my part. The performers you wish you had seen would still like to see while you still have the chance or maybe just some great memories. Dorian says, I really regret not seeing the Headstones. I was at a concert they were headlining, and I walked out. Oh Bad call. I really hope ACDC comes around again one day. I regret not seeing them the last time they came through Winnipeg. And I really miss Big Buff on our Jets. We have never been the same without him, and I'd love to see him take over our game and take over the highlight reel one more time. Dorian living with some regrets. Man, you walked out of the Headstones? Why? Yeah, well, hey, I was thinking about back to 1998, I guess it was, and uh, I can't remember the name of the event at the Winnipeg Stadium. Green Day was the headliner. The Foo Fighters performed. I had no idea who they were. I might, I even was, I was even backstage. I might have brushed shoulders with Dave Grohl and had oh, no boy. idea. Uh, so that's an embarrassing moment for me. And Don says... I've been an ACDC fanatic, fanatic rather, since 1976 High Voltage Tour. I've managed to miss seeing them until 2009 when they played the old Winnipeg Stadium on the Black Ice Tour. It was the best concert I've ever attended. Little did I or anyone else know it would be the last tour of the classic lineup as Malcolm would retire after the tour. After decades of not being able to see them, I'm forever grateful I managed to make, make it to the last tour with their classic lineup. On a side note, I saw them at IG Field on the Rocker bus tour then managed to catch them in both Brisbane and Sydney, Australia. Conversations that we've been hearing and having from Manitobans that there just aren't enough supports in place to help people living with addictions or mental health issues. And during the pandemic, Loren, those calls only grew louder. Now as we work to get out of this pandemic, we're hearing the situation really has only grown worse, Greg. And so later today, the federal government, they're actually going to have a representative in town to announce more money for crisis hotlines across the country. How much money will be doled out, where it will go remains to be seen. But the people who work in this area in Winnipeg say they're seeing a great deal of distress. Dr. Andrew Lodge is the medical director at clinic and says the question of why we're seeing that distress isn't easily answered. There are people kind of working on sort of trying to tease out um, what things are looking like uh, throughout throughout Canadian society. Um, but certainly it looks like there's a lot of people who are, you know, in a fair amount of distress right now. Um, and, you know, whether that was something that, the, that existed pre-pandemic and, and it was compounded by COVID-19 or whether... You know, this was something more of a trigger that, that was caused by the pandemic. You know, I can't speak to that, but the reality is that we're seeing a great deal of need and a great deal of demand in our community. So mental health concerns are huge. Often coupled with mental health issues might be a substance abuse problem. Not always. They can be completely separate. And while I think we all know drugs are prevalent in our community, whether it's meth or opioids or other it's worth reminding that they come second to something else and pretty much always have. The number one substance that we um, 
that that people come to us with uh, you know their their own self-identified concerns is overwhelmingly alcohol um which may surprise some people but um that's certainly the number one substance and i think that's mirrored in in you know detox services um in facilities as well um as well as um presentations to emergency departments that are at least informed by alcohol um after that um the epidemiology has been shifting to some degree prior to the pandemic meth would would have been the sort of second substance of concern that we saw a lot of um during the pandemic increasingly we saw more um opiates uh in the form of heroin or fentanyl um and so right now there's a real mix out there on the street but certainly meth and opiates um would be the two substances following alcohol so as we explore solutions to a bunch of different problems this morning, Loren, one of the things we've repeatedly been told is that there are just not enough places to go for people looking to stop drinking, to stop doing drugs, to detox, those that maybe want to make a change in their life. Yeah, and I so back in 2019, Clinic started what they call the Mobile Management Withdrawal Services. It's for people who either can't get into a traditional detox program, a facility, you know, a 28-day stay or more, or it might be for those who, who don't want to go that route. You could be someone who has a drinking problem, for example, you want to quit, but maybe also want to try to continue to work or maybe continue with commitments to family. It's not as easy as saying, I'm just going to go enter this facility. So there's either not enough facilities or just a different dynamics. It's complicated. And so that's where this service comes in. People enter it, um, identifying a pro, like a substance of concern um, and, you know, commit to detoxing from that substance. We can help them out with um, medication and psychosocial support. Um, and they get to do that in the safety or, and comfort of their own home. Um, if they don't have a home, um, we provide housing for up to the duration of the program, uh, which is 30 days. Um, throughout that 30-day period, there's daily contact with our staff, which is uh, staffed by um, support workers, nurses, uh, counselors, uh, myself, a physician, as well as peer support workers and uh, trauma counseling. So we try to provide a somewhat comprehensive, albeit short, um, wraparound service to uh, to really sort of try to help people stabilize and then, if they so choose, move on um, into sort of longer-term recovery, if that's their, their sort of stated objective. Now, he understands that people want to know, okay, is this program working? And they're working right now to try to pull that data. But saying it's helped X number of people, Greg, it's not, it's not always that easy, right? Because what someone's recovery looks like might be that they're recovery for 30 days or they haven't drank for 50 days or they haven't done drugs for a year or they move in and out of that. But it's not always easy to say, okay, well, we've solved the problem, so to speak, for X number of people. But they do know that it's important to provide that data. So they're working on that. And in the meantime, Greg, he kind of likens the system to what we have for maybe somebody who is older looking to get into a personal care home. You might not have the room. There might not be the beds to get you into the care home. Or you might be someone who just chooses to stay home. And so the home care comes to you. And that's kind of how this substance abuse mobile program works. Well, and if we're talking about expediency and we're talking about getting these services to people, and I used this terminology earlier, meeting them where they are, then getting out into the community is a critical part of, of, of bridging that time gap that, that seems to be a, a problem along with bricks and mortar 
harder because we know there simply aren't enough facilities to handle a multitude of issues, uh, including addictions, including homelessness in our community. So there's a couple final clips I want to play here from Dr. Andrew Lodge, who is with Clinic. And that's about the way we view people who might be struggling, but also how we view the substance that they might be struggling with. You know, we've talked before about the way alcohol is viewed in our community. Dr. Lodge had these thoughts. It it really begs the question why we're criminalizing drugs like heroin and methamphetamine um, if there's a different way to address them through through. you know, a more medical or public health model. You know, if you look back at, at alcohol 100 years ago, I mean, we, we tried prohibition for alcohol and it didn't work. Um, and I suspect we're, we're reaching a point with other substances like, like opiates and methamphetamine where we're starting to ask those kind of questions, you know, about what our approach is and whether the law and order approach with criminalization and so on really does anybody any favors and, and really addresses the, the roots of the problem. Uh, so I think the, the spotlight is, is sort of a bit of a bit distorted in the sense that we could probably be changing the way we look at illegal substances um, and how we address them and, and view them more as a public health issue as opposed to a criminal one. It's controversial, I know, Greg, and I don't know if I'm ready to go down the road of decriminalizing a wide variety of substances, but there's a point to be made there. You know, the number of people coming into the ER when it comes to substance abuse issues, alcohol is the primary reason driving them there. Alcohol and alcohol-related calls are huge for WFPS and for Winnipeg Police. And so drugs play a big role for sure, but I just thought that was food for thought in terms of how we view alcohol versus other drugs in society. And then finally, Dr. Lodge, you know, I we talked about the idea, but does it matter to you about who is putting up your hand, their hand for help? Who is asking for that addictions treatment? Celebrity who admits they have an addiction versus the ordinary Manitoban? Celebrity versus someone on the street? The whole point of actually listening to somebody so that the celebrity has the podium and or the soapbox, which is good, and so then people listen and realize, wow, this is a human being with real struggles, and suddenly they become relatable. But I mean, when you're driving, you know, when you're driving to work in the morning and you see people just kind of strewn around a, a bus shelter, and you're already pissed off at your life, um, it, you know, that's not that that doesn't exactly, uh, um, you know, lend itself to, to to compassion. And unfortunately, I think that sort of knee-jerk or gut reaction becomes, you know, people's position sometimes without kind of understanding the person behind that sort of image that I think all Winnipeggers know about, right? Um, But the reality is those are real people, and they have real stories and real sort of hopes and dreams, and and they love people, and they're loved by people, and, and, you know, they're they're just humans. Um, And I think if we can sort of try to distill things down to that... um, that will take us a long way in terms of addressing some of the, I think, looming concerns that are, you know, facing us in the next few years as a community. Loren, some of the most beloved people on our planet, some of the largest celebrities, biggest stars. If you read the, their biographies, their tell-alls, 
their history quite often in, involves yes. abuse of alcohol, abuse of drugs. And, and we put them on a pedestal. We adulate right. them and we support them. And we celebrate their victory over that substance abuse and their comebacks. And we like these comeback stories. And I think we really have to remember, at least I do my best to remember, that these are, are, are people that come from all walks of life. Wade Miller is the president and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club, joins us now. Wade, good morning. There are some concerns potentially with regard to construction on campus at the U of M around IG Field. You wanted to talk about that uh, with us this morning. Yeah, yeah thanks. Uh, just quickly, the, uh, the city of Winnipeg is doing uh, ongoing um, work on University Crescent. Uh, so there'll be two lanes of traffic in and two lanes of traffic out uh, during the game, but it will be uh, possibly a little slower. So uh, encourage people to take a look at the different uh, options to get to the stadium, uh, especially the blue line rapid transit that the city of Winnipeg has uh, with the park and ride locations um, that they have in the south end of town. That is really quick to pay your bus fare, get on the bus, pay your bus fare on the way back and you're, you know, to your car really quickly or use one of our park and ride locations that we have as well. So different ways to get to the stadium. But as you talked about there, um, military appreciation night is always great. Uh, we'll have a fly fly pass twice um, during the uh, opening ceremonies. Pre-game tailgate area opens at 5:30 with the drink specials, and and we're going to have a crowd, uh, you know, right around 30,000. So it's going to be uh, really loud, and uh, you know, we don't need air horns. Uh, our fans <laughs> are loud enough without air horns. So, Am I happy to hear not that? Allowed in the stadium. Perfect. Let's reiterate iterate that. No air horns in the stadium tomorrow night. But wait, I have to ask. You know, we're going to encourage people to take transit that helps get cars off the road, particularly when there's construction all over the place. So transit might be your best option to take a look at for tomorrow night. And more than that, is it is it a challenge within the organization? I know you have no problem controlling your excitement, but how are your staff members feeling in the lead up to tomorrow's game and all the possibilities it brings? Well, we're look. We're always excited when when we get to host thirty thousand fans here, and the you know that you know that five thirty that pregame tailgate. I look out my window, and at five fifteen, there's line lineups for people to get into there outside of gate two, and just come early and enjoy it. And then you know the game. There, everybody's excited, and a nine no team it just adds to it, right? And then you add you know how loud our fans are going to be this game. It's going to be just unbelievable and. And, you know, the other thing on that transit is those park and ride locations that they have at Clarence and Seal. Those aren't, it's not the way I used to think of transit. It's much different. Like that rapid transit line gets you so quickly down, you know, uh, to the stadium uh, and that terminal. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not what I used to think of transit. So I need to rethink how I think about transit. And I think it's uh, an opportunity for fans to, Park their car quick, get on a bus, and away you go right to the stadium. So. Wade Miller, you can say hi to him on the bus perhaps tomorrow on your, on his way to uh, IG Field. I'm not taking the bus, Greg. I'll be here early. I'm not. Oh, he's probably staying overnight tonight. He works too hard for that. He's probably just there all night and into tomorrow is my guess. Well, I'm still waiting for you to come to the store. <laughs> you know what? I might just do that. 
And then oh, I'll okay, call upstairs well, for you. It's been two years now, McNabb. <laughs> Listen, promises I run out. I go to the store. He's just never there when I'm there. Wade, we'll, well catch then up. You, then you got to ask, and we'll you know make sure we get a picture so we can document this for people that <laughs> you've been to the store. Thanks, I don't know, Wade. I feel like we should keep this gig going for 15 years. All right, thanks very much, Wade. Okay, thanks, guys. Bombers, uh, you betcha. Bombers Alouettes tomorrow night. Joining us now, somebody who stepped away from his craft when he was still at the top of his game. You may recognize his name, his voice. Good morning, Bob Irving. Good morning, you guys. How you doing? Doing really well. What an absolutely picture-perfect day. It looks like the week is shaping up absolutely perfectly for Brett McGarry on his holidays and for football tomorrow night. And we want to get your, we don't want to talk weather with you, although we could, Bob, but (laughs) we want to get your views on Serena Williams in a moment. But last week... One of the greatest, uh, like undeniably one of the greatest of all time, Vin Scully passed away while I was away. And the impact Scully had on broadcasters around North America is unmistakable. I just want to play a little bit of one of the greatest calls from the 1988 World Series, one of the greatest moments in Major League Baseball history, in fact. And only Vin Scully could put it into words, matching the pictures the way he did. Sacks waiting on deck, but the game right now is at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! And Bob, some of the magic of Vin Scully, in particular on television, and you can correct me if you feel differently, was the fact that he knew when not to speak. Well, he was uh, the master of his craft, Greg, in every way. Uh, That description of Kirk Gibson's home run is one that will live on forever. Uh, And I've watched all sorts of video clips now in the last week or so since Vin passed away of some of his terrific work. And, uh, yeah, he was just, uh, he was the best. He really was. And he did more than baseball. I've talked about this before. He, He did NFL games. There's a golf tournament where... He describes a player named Rick Massengale trying to get out of one of those pot bunkers <laughs> in a tournament over in England, and it goes on for almost two minutes, and Massengale keeps hitting the side of the, these deep bunkers and couldn't get his ball out. And here's Vin Scully describing it in this. You know, I would urge people who are impressed by this sort of thing to find that on Google because he goes on for about two minutes, and he doesn't have a color commentator. It's just Vin. And a lot of the work that he did, it was just Vin himself. And to fill that time in an entertaining, amusing, interesting way is brilliant. It's utterly brilliant. Uh, he was just a gifted human being in his craft. And, uh, yeah, he'll be missed by everybody, and his work will never be forgotten. Yeah, it was just really a wonderful storyteller, in essence, yeah. at the end of the day. And Colin Coward was talking about how many and so many of the baseball broadcasters who were essentially doing their best Vin Scully imitations. And, of course, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. But, of course, there will never be another Vin Scully. And just this whole idea of, of bringing bringing what you're seeing to life. And, and, Bob, I don't know how many games you heard Vin call live but I had the opportunity to sit in Dodger Stadium one afternoon and watch the Dodgers play with Vin Scully in my ear and it was a surreal if not religious experience well and listening to baseball 
Greg, is different uh, than listening to really any other sport, hockey or football. There's, you know, there's highs and lows, and there's plays where everybody goes crazy. And baseball's kind of slow moving, and you're describing the play very slowly, and yet between pitches you're telling a story, and he could do that brilliantly. He could start a story uh, after the first pitch of an inning and then describe every pitch and every play along the way that would interrupt the story for a few seconds, then he'd just pick it right up. And that's kind of the beauty of doing baseball play-by-play where you had the time to do that. And I can see uh, where you're sitting in the stands and listening, and it's uh, magical. It really was, and nobody did it better than Vin Scully. We've been talking this morning, Bob, of course, about the greatest of all times and the tie-in went in with whether you're an announcer, an athlete, or a performer of any sorts. And, of course, we've been talking about Serena Williams announcing. She's not calling it a retirement, but she is retiring, uh, for lack of a better word, after the U.S. Open in the fall. Where do you put her on the list of greatest of all times? Well, she's one of the greatest athletes, I think, Loren, that ever lived. I don't know anybody could dispute that. She certainly dominated her sport, winning 23 major singles titles, which is mind-boggling when you think about it. And here she is now at 41 years of age or turning 41 later this month and still competing, although she's near the end of the line and she's been plagued by injuries in recent times, which have really set her back, understandably. Uh, She is just one of the very best. You think about every individual sport that has been played, Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods in golf and you know, you can go on and on about players who have dominated the sport, but nobody's dominated the sport the way Serena has women's tennis. And her sister Venus, of course, has had a remarkable career herself, but it pales in comparison to what Serena's done. So she's, you know, when you talk about goats, greatest of all times in tennis, she's it in women's tennis. And you really have to rank her, I think, up there with one of the greatest athletes in the history of, of the world. Wow, we're agreeing again this morning, Bob Irving. I like this. Uh, We're giving away tickets to the Bomber game tomorrow night. The Blue Bombers, of course, speaking of greatest of all time, can go to 10-0 for the first time since 1960. I'm reminding people to not look up who won the Grey Cup in 1960 because it wasn't the Blue Bombers. That aside, what the Blue Bombers are doing this season is extraordinary versus what they did the last couple of years because they're finding different ways to win games. But one of our listeners wanted to go back to and and i want to say it was 93 or 94 the night that matt dunnigan uh passed for 713 yards shane says well since this is for bomber tickets i have to say the most memorable sports experience i have seen was a record that will never be broken matt dunnigan playing for the bombers passing for 713 yards in one game truly an incredible performance that i and many will never forget a performance that really the only soundtrack to is your call of that game because it wasn't on television. Yeah, I'll never forget that one. That's one of the games uh, over the many years I've covered the Bombers that will stick in my mind. Uh, And partly, Greg, because it wasn't on TV, it was a Grey Cup rematch. The teams had met Winnipeg and Edmonton had met in the Grey Cup the year before. So they played early the following season in a Grey Cup rematch. And for reasons I, I can't recall, the game was not on television. And back then... Uh, 30 years ago, the games weren't all televised. Most of them were. But this one, for some reason, wasn't. But Matt Donegan came out uh, red hot that night. And they kept him in the game right until the end because it was a close game. Every time the Bombers scored, Edmonton would score. And so, you know, the thought of taking him out never occurred to Cal Murphy and his 
best of my recollection, Cal was advised late in the game that Matt was on the verge of passing for 700 yards, and so he left him in there. I guess he could have taken him out in the last few minutes, but he left him in there right till the bitter end. And, yeah, that record uh, has never been broken, 713 yards. You wonder if it ever will. I suppose all records were made to be broken, but it's hard to imagine. It really is hard to imagine. First of all, anybody throwing for 713 yards in a game, a professional game, and secondly, anybody breaking it. I suppose it it might be somewhere down the road, but not anytime soon, I don't think. One of our listeners, Bob, before we let you go, saying one of the greats that they would like to see would be O'Shea. And in their words, champions breed championships. What do you say to that? Well, yeah, I think that's true. Um, Michael Shea has done a fabulous job here with uh, the Blue Bombers. They're, you know, heading for a, a possible Grey Cup appearance again and maybe a third straight Grey Cup win. He's going to put himself up there among the best of all time if they keep going like this. And I know that sort of discussion would drive him crazy because he hates talking about himself and any of these kind of record-breaking achievements. But, uh you know, after that uh, rough start to his career as head coach of the Blue Bombers where they were trying to put this uh, fabulous team together that they have now uh, to where they stand now and, and, you know, having won, what is it, 25 of the last 28 meaningful games, two of those three losses were in games where they weren't playing for anything. They had first place clinched. It's it's a run that I think is unprecedented in the Canadian Football League in the history of the league. There have been some great teams with great records and great runs but this particular one from late 2019 to now really is unprecedented, and it's a tribute to, to Mike and uh, really all the people in the Bomber organization who have put this thing together. It's, uh, fans should really soak this up because we're seeing something now in the history of the Blue Bombers that has never been seen before in many ways and might never be seen again. So they're going to have a nice crowd tomorrow night. I understand tickets for future games are are going like uh, crazy. And so this is going to be a year to remember in many ways. And I guess we all have to hope as fans that it ends on a positive note, because if it doesn't, uh, that will really be sad. 22-1 and one in their last 23 games yeah. at IG Field. It's very impressive, even when you go back to the heydays of the of the late 50s and early 60s, Mike O'Shea closing in on his 100th victory as a head coach, and all the things that the Blue Bombers did in the mid-80s through until the early 90s. Uh, th- this is just, as you say, Bob, it's unprecedented. We could talk about this for a long, long time, but the clock, as always, is our enemy. I'm glad you're not our enemy, Bob. We'll catch up again next uh, Wednesday and yeah sure and don't bring up any of this historical stuff with Michael Shea because he'll tell you Greg and Loren that all he wants to do is go one and oh this week yeah oh I know one <laughs> game at a time I wouldn't dare with him Bob I wouldn't no don't go down that road because you'll hit a roadblock real fast Thanks, Bob. We appreciate you. Oh, hey, I've been meaning to send you a picture. I saw a great picture on the Strip in Vegas last week. You know Shania Twain's doing a residency there, right? Oh, yes, I'm fully aware of that. I've seen Shania in concert three times, and uh, there might be a fourth somewhere down the road for me. Okay, get your backside to Vegas. Our next guest this morning is asking an important question. Can we do more to acknowledge and appreciate our veterans beyond Remembrance Day? 
So Peter Martin is the son of a World War II veteran. He's been on our program often. And in an email with me yesterday, he wrote, quote, I have a friend whose son is in the Canadian military and stationed in the U.S. Whenever this person goes into a business, he is asked if he's a veteran or a serving member. He's then treated as royalty and given discounts on everything. That doesn't happen here, and I'm on a mission to change that. We're joined now by Peter Martin. Good morning. Good morning, Lorreen and Greg. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time. I'm, I'm curious, do you think we have a different attitude or perception of veterans here in this country compared to the U.S.? It appears so. And I'm not saying we don't care, but it seems like we're not visibly appreciating those who serve, continue to serve, and will serve in the future. We need to really take a moment to understand the commitment our young men and women and others have, have made in serving the country. And I don't think we're visibly appreciating except November 11th week where we're they're at events and things like that. So I'm on a mission to change that and show appreciation to all those who served, all those who are suffering as a result of their service and saying we do truly appreciate what you've done. And I'm hoping businesses will say in appreciation for your service and commitment, here's a discount in our store. Thank you for shopping here. Thank you for your service. I was in a couple of different national parks in the U.S. over the last couple of weeks, Peter, and that's one of the first questions, even on the on the digital self-service kiosks. If you're buying a pass, I was at Grand Canyon, as an example, they asked if I was a service member or not, because that would adjust the, the price that I would pay with regard to entering a national park. So even on something uh, as, as elementary, something that's connected and government-run, uh, it would be great to see a program like this for for those who have served and those who are currently serving our country, in my mind. You're absolutely right. And and a lot of businesses do offer discounts, but you have to ask. Like I, I quite often will ask at a hotel, do you have a discount for a veteran? Oh, yes, we do. But I don't know that unless I ask. So the decal that I've developed, uh, Dan Moria developed on uh, Transcona, it's a decal that goes on the window of a business or offering a discount, and it says, discount the veterans here, French and English. We thank you for your service, French and English. So can you imagine a feeling of a veteran, especially someone perhaps suffering from conflict, sees that and says, whoa, it's on the window. They appreciate my service, and they're giving me a little discount uh, for that. It's not about the money, but it's about expressing appreciation in some uh, tangible way. That's what I find. What kind of response have you received so far? Because I know you're, you're in Transcona, and that's where uh, your father also grew up and lived, and so that's a big part of your life. But what are businesses there telling you, and, and what do you hope to expand it to in terms of the numbers you have so far signed up to, to do this, Peter? Well, it, it, I met with a business owner yesterday. Oh, I want to give a 15%, 10% discount. I said, great. I had a company, Wyatt Dowling, said, I can't, we can't give a discount because we're insurance, but we want to pay for all your decals. So the response is phenomenal, and, and now uh, Brett Hans, who's assisting me, uh, he's with the executive as well, the Transcontinental Legion, we've decided it's to expand. It doesn't matter where the business is located. If a business wants to give a discount to a veteran, just email Transcona Legion, branch7 at Shaw.ca, and say, I want to give a discount to veterans. I will get the decal to you. Tell me how much your discount. I will post your company's name on our website at Transcona Legion, how much of a discount. So... When I contact the Military Family Resource Center, uh, MLA, et cetera, tell new, new so- veterans and soldiers who are serving, go to this website. You'll see all the discounts that are available in Winnipeg. So it was Transcona. 
But as you know, Transcona people like to be inclusive to all of Winnipeg. So we've expanded our program because I just want every single business to have a decal on their window or door saying, we thank you for your service with a big poppy on the front of it. Free. We'll, well give you the decal. Peter, you've done such wonderful things in terms of keeping memories alive, keeping history alive. And I think this is just something... I will imagine will only be a matter of time before it's a runaway success. I, I believe this is just about notoriety and people knowing that this is happening because in my experience over the last 20 years, I really get the sense that, you know, I know we're trying to talk about what's happening the other 364 days of the year, but Remembrance Day, I think is has grown in importance and significance for so many Canadians over the last couple of decades, and it's through efforts like uh, the ones that that we've spoken to you about in the past. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, and uh, and it's really things just don't happen by themselves. If somebody wants to make a change or do something for the greater good, you need to make it happen. Don't sit back and expect others to do it. And I think. We need to get that mindset in. Oh, I want it to happen. I'm going to take control and make it happen, and it will happen. So that's what I do. But it's it's not just me alone. Of course, I've got quite a team of people helping me because everybody jumps on board with this initiative. Say, we want to be part of it. How can we help? How can we help? So I'm really delighted that uh, I, the idea came to me because of a friend, Tova Anderson, whose son is in the military and in the States. She said, I go down there and everybody's jumping all over this guy. She said, why can't we do it here? And I think that's what I mentioned. There's no reason why we can't do that. In fact, we can do better than any other country in that regard. Peter, thank you for your time. Peter Martin leading the charge on giving more support, more help to veterans. And again, one of our listeners just said, how do they get a sticker? Could you tell them again, Peter? Yeah, just email branch7 at shaw.ca. That's Transcona Legion and branch7 at shaw.ca or PM me on Facebook. But uh, it's better if you send it to the branch or Linda there will send me the flip me the email and I'll make sure we get you decals. And Someone seven just, is in the number, Peter, or seven as you spell it out, like branch and then the number seven or branch seven, S-E-V-E-N? Uh, branch number seven, branch seven at shaw.ca. Peter? And on the website, you'll see the Transcona Legion on the website, and that will give you contact information as well. Peter Martin, any excuse to speak to you is fine by me, and uh, thank you for doing the work that you do. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you sooner than later. Thanks for this. Good luck. Yeah, stay safe. Stay safe, everyone. There have been some incredible concerts at Winnipeg Stadium over the years. Of course, the stadium now at the University of Manitoba IG Field, but the old Winnipeg Stadium, that's my old neighborhood. And you could hear the band setting up, Loren, for days ahead of time. I remember when David Bowie came the first time and you could hear and see the stage set up. It took them two, three days. Stones, Bon Jovi, uh, there's also... And the Eagles uh, eventually played at the Winnipeg Stadium. And that's where... Our winning text comes from for two, no, not three, four tickets for tomorrow night's game between the Owls and the Blue Bombers. So this text came in earlier this morning, and it was fabulous. And I think right away we said this is probably our winner. Taylor says, 12 years, three weeks ago, I was on my third date with my now partner. That night, he picked me up from my best friend's house. Turns out this was also his best friend in high school. So this night kind of felt like a reunion as we both knew the families well. We ended up driving around, hanging out all around town. The Eagles were playing at the old football stadium in St. James. We grabbed some beers and listened to the concert from the parking lot. 
It was so fun. Then our shared best friend looked at us and put a hand on our shoulders and said to us that he loved us and that they thought we were beautiful together and then pronounced us man and wife and we had our very first kiss. Our friends cheered, the eagles were blasting, and it still tickles my heart and it makes me smile to this day. That's my greatest of all time music experience, and that is still considered our anniversary date. So Taylor, for that, and the follow-up to say that your family could really use the fun, that you've got uh, this anniversary coming up and all the rest, you are our winner of a four-pack of tickets the Blue Bombers game tomorrow night. Hands up if you ever experienced a concert outside the stadium or maybe on the dump on the top of uh, of the hill. We've been talking this morning about how we can better help people struggling with an addiction to drugs or alcohol. And Loren, this entire conversation, this whole focus on solutions this morning was inspired by a lovely message from one of our loyal listeners. And it really couldn't be more timely. We heard from the folks at clinic at 735 about how they're seeing an increased demand for help, whether it be for mental health or addiction issues. Later today, there will be a new announcement of funds announced for crisis lines. The phone numbers that you call for help are seeing that increased demand. So they need more help to help you. And our listener emailed recently to let us know that he had hit an important milestone. One year sober. In our exchange with him, he shared that a year ago, he was a drink away, in his words, from dying. One drink for him was a 26er of alcohol. He went on to say that a series of perfectly timed events started his journey to sobriety, and now he is 370 plus days, I think 373 by my count, of choosing not to drink. And we're so pleased to welcome onto our show, Rick Dirksen. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. Well, congratulations, first of all, of taking that step. But a year sobriety is is no joke. That's a, quite the milestones to hit. And I'm curious, when you look back now, how would you describe what your relationship with alcohol was? At the time, a year ago, alcohol was the most important thing in my life. I gave up absolutely everything for it. Uh, my family, my dignity, my self-worth. I was in a relationship with alcohol, it was always there for me, and it wanted only one thing, it wanted to kill me. And it was not going to kill me slowly, it was going to kill me over a long period of time, and during that time, it was going to remove everything that I once valued. Rick, thank you for sharing your story with us. It means a lot to us, and I know it means a lot to our listeners. And It's Greg here, and just talk about that timeline if you would this doesn't happen overnight talk about a little bit more specifically with regard to to what you lost out on and and did you realize it at the time or was there an uh, you know the digging in of the heels like, no no like, i'm okay i can handle this you don't know what you're talking about i i can deal with this fine that that is exactly what i went through i would look at myself and i would look always down i'd say i haven't sunk that low yet but I never looked up to see how far down I had already fallen. And um, it was just going round and round. I mean, they use the uh, example, um, getting caught in an eddy. You know, when you drain the tub, there's that swirl. And it goes, the farther down you go, the faster it spins and the faster you drop. And uh, I got to that point one time, you know, one, one day, like I was, what well, the doctor said, 
basically one drink away from dying. That's a fantastic description and disturbing in some respects, respects, Rick, because I think it might resonate for a lot of people. People will say, I haven't hit rock bottom or I could fall a little further, but to not realize how far you'd already fallen is another part of the problem for many people struggling that, that they think, well, it's still not A, B or C. And so in that moment, did someone approach you and talk to you about what was going on? Or did you have an epiphany of sorts be, be, beyond the doctor saying you will be dead if you continue to drink? Were there people well, around you I, saying, Rick, you need help? Um, no, <laughs> I was at Victoria Critical Care just a little over a year ago, my fifth trip to the hospital because of alcohol and the doctor treating me at that time using her bed best bedside manner said rick you are a bleeping idiot and insert the worst word you can think there she said that those exact words rick you are a bleeping idiot if you think you can leave here go home and not be back within a week my bet though based on your history is that you'll be dead that got my attention my dad used to say he told me on my 18th birthday, Rick, that if you're hanging out somewhere and the bartender knows your name, you might want to reconsider where you are in your life. When the doctor knows your name and has a conversation and knows that you've been where you are at the moment multiple times and that your destiny is to come back, that's that's pretty bad. That's pretty rough. Well, it, it was bad. And uh, to give you an idea how bad my relationship was with alcohol, the first couple of times I ended up in uh, the emergency because of alcohol, I didn't put two and two together. And on the way home, I had the cab stop off at the liquor store. Oh, boy. So it ruled it ruled a lot of aspects of your life. Like, did you work, Rick? You know, some people use this terminology, functioning alcoholic. Uh, did you work? Did you have this view that, you know, addictions are something to people that happen, you know, that, that we see living on the street or that we see, uh, you know, at, at the corner with a, with a cup out panhandling, looking for money for their, maybe their next drink or their next hit of, of their drug of choice. Talk about maybe some of your perceptions and, and really where you came from, because we know addictions, affect all sorts of folks from all different socioeconomic backgrounds. Yeah, it was, um, sorry, say that one again. <laughs> just with regard, yeah, sorry, it. Rick, I, I have a tendency sometimes to to say everything I'm thinking all at once, just with regards to, you know, functioning, people use that word functioning oh, yeah. alcoholic and, and, and having a job. Like what did life look for, look like for Rick Dirksen before you, you decided to, to uh, separate yourself from alcohol? Well, um, I used uh, the uh, excuse of COVID to, quote, work from home. Um, my employer was incredibly gracious. Uh, they knew I had troubles. They knew I was struggling, but they stood behind me. Um, I did use the term one time with a counselor. I'm a functioning alcoholic. And she said, you are about as far from functioning as is possible. And um, it, it was just. I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was going to die. In fact, there there were times I thought, you know what, um, I don't have the guts to kill myself, but uh, dying by drinking yourself to death, that's sort of an acceptable way to go. And I'd get up sometimes in the morning and I would say, how much do I actually have to drink before I die? And Because uh, I couldn't drink any more than I was drinking. But uh, no, it was just uh, a whole series of events and perfectly timed and once I decided that that was it, once I decided I actually still wanted to live, 
um, I'm, I'm rather strong-willed. And I said, you know, I mean, if I apply the same energy and effort that I put into my drinking career into, uh, you know, living a life of choosing not to drink. And I, I like to use the term, I choose not to drink instead of saying sober because uh, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 plays on the uh you know you, you've talked about the stigma of uh of being you know branded an alcoholic and uh, i mean i used to not be able to read and write but i don't consider myself illiterate you know so mm-hmm. i used to drink i used to have a severe problem with alcohol now i choose not to drink and um the line of people behind me who that day that I was one step away from death, they, I, I kind of felt someone pulling on my belt and I looked behind me and here are the, all these people holding me back and they're shaking their head and they said, not today, Rick, you're not going down today. And um, So Rick, what's that feel like now? You, you know, you talk about that choice. You've made a conscious choice to just do better by you and that's tremendous. And so I'm curious how it feels one year later, to wake up yesterday, to wake up today, to wake up tomorrow, choosing not to drink. One of my favorite quotes is by the poet Robert Browning, and he says, a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's the heaven for? What I want to accomplish yet with my life, I cannot complete today. So I reach for tomorrow. I live today, I devour it, I take all the nutrition out of it I can, but I'm always reaching for tomorrow. Um, I'm, I just get up, it's, it's over a year, and every day I wake up and I'm determined, and every night when I go to sleep, I'm content. If, if, I, would, if I would die tonight, I would be, I would, my debts are paid. I'm square with the house, and I'm content, and I just feel this obligation. I, I cannot pay back what people have given me. Uh, what they gave to me, the opportunities, they were given as gifts. But I put those gifts to work. They don't expect me to pay them back. I can't pay them back, but I can pay it forward by reaching out. I, I need to get involved. I feel this obligation to reach out and try to encourage people to have them realize that they can have this life too. They can shed those, they crawl out of that cave. When, when I was in the problem, the blinds in my house were constantly closed. I lived, you know, the last six, seven months of, of before I changed, I, I lived basically on the couch. I, the blinds were always open. I had no idea what it was like outside. And when I came home, I opened the blinds. Then I started lifting the blinds up. Now the windows are open. Now I'm going out onto the patio. Like, like that's me escaping from my life that was controlled by alcohol. I'm, I'm out there. I'm free. You know, the sun is shining, the wind blows. Um, I cannot stop being enthused every morning. And I just have, I, I have this need to share this with other people. Maybe someone out there, all they need to do is hear that it's possible. And I mean, I was, I was 64 when I decided enough was enough. And I involved in this awesome support group called Recovering Beyond. I'm the oldest person there. Most of the people attending are younger than my children. And I look at them and I say, you guys are so lucky. You have, you can look forward to more lives of being out of the problem than you spent in the problem. I don't have that option. But whatever years I have left, like I cannot, I cannot get my past back. I can't make up 
to my family, to my children, to my wife, the pain that I caused. But all three of my children have, in the last little while, after I've shared my story, they've told me, I'm proud of you. When I call my wife now, she used to be afraid to answer the phone when she saw my number on call display because of how I, what mood I might be and how violent, not violent, but how angry and how verbally abusive I would be. Now she looks forward to my calls. I'm not going to give that up. I'm not going to throw that away just because, oh, like, Rick, you want to have a, you know, you, one drink, just one drink. I tried sobriety a few times. It lasted a while, but sobriety was just giving up drinking. Now I work on recovery, and that is gaining back what I used to have, becoming the person that I used to be, like living so that people around me aren't afraid of me, are, and my kids are proud of me. Like, it's it's a no-brainer giving up alcohol once I decided it was like I should have done it years before. But now that I've done it, it's mo- both the easiest difficult thing I've ever done and the most difficult easy thing I've done. And sorry, I, I, it's like I get on a soapbox when I talk about it. I, I, it's just I you've cannot. Earned that. You've earned yes. that right, Rick. You've earned that right. And this message is is resonating with many of our listeners right now, those with their own issues, those with loved ones with addi- with issues, and, and maybe realizing that for those others in our, in our community who struggle with addiction, who struggle to get back their life, it, it's not as easy as just pulling up the bootstraps. There's, there, there's multiple levels to that. Can we talk a little bit more about those levels another time? Rick, would you come back and join us? Um, absolutely. I'd be very happy to. Thank you, Rick. Congratulations. Thank you for the oppor- Thank you and thanks for this opportunity. You are paying it forward, Rick. Rick Dirksen. Is it appropriate, Loren, to say that I'm proud of Rick and I've just known him for about 12 yeah. minutes here? I, I teared up several times in that. I think that resonates for people, whether you're feeling like you're struggling with addiction or just feeling like you're struggling, period. <laughs>